Welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Farley-Wolf, and I'm here, as always, with my sometimes co-host, editor-in-chief of the Super Jump magazine, James Burns. James, how's it going? Hey, it's good to be back. It feels like it's been ages for me. <laughs> it, ha- I, Yeah, I was thinking about that before we started the show. I don't know the last time uh, you were on. I, we used to call you my forever co-host, and that's just not the case anymore. We can't yeah, do that. That's right. I'm sort of your your part time co host now. <laughs> yeah. Well, be- between you and Wyatt, and and sometimes both you and Wyatt at the same time, yeah. uh, we're really filling out these episodes. Uh, I had an idea for an episode that was going to be up um, th- this past week on Wednesday, and it just didn't happen. So I apologize to the listeners out there for uh, for missing a week. I don't intend to make much of a habit out of it, even though it's happened twice this season so far. Um, so we have a big show today, uh, two very interesting news items to talk about. Um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about both of them. We've both been playing some, uh, divisive games and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's it. Pretty chill episode. So let's get right into it and start with the Playtime Report. James, what you been playing? I've been playing two very different games. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> could not be more different. Um, Fallout 76, um, which we'll be diving into a little bit further later on. Uh, and Tetris Effect. Right. Um, yeah, those aren't the same. Those, those are remo- <laughs> different games. Not remotely the same. Um, yeah, yeah. How, uh, how's your experience at- with Tetris Effect been? amazing um really amazing i've been looking forward to this game for ages um it's interestingly um i mean there are a million different variations of tetris out there and i have to admit i have never been never really been a huge tetris fan maybe other than the original um but the reason that i wanted to check this one out is because it's being it it has been produced by uh, Tetsuya Mizuguchi, who was also the man behind Res, which right. was which originally came out on the Dreamcast, and it was one of my favorite Dreamcast games. And there's a really awesome version of Res on PS4 now called Res Infinite, uh, which is brilliant in VR. So I think because of the people behind this, I was really kind of naturally interested. And it's, it sort of feels weird to say this, but like, and I don't know if you've done this yourself yet, but you can go on YouTube and you can just watch someone play Tetris Effect for like a long stretch of time. Like you can sit there and watch a 15 minute or even a 30 minute video. You can have it on in the background. It's just so mesmerizing. Um, and, and it very much when you play it um even though each stage is sort of relatively brief you you just get completely sucked into it and you can be sitting there for an hour and you feel like you've been there for 10 minutes i um i i, I struggled to to uh, i i was talking to a friend about this game to like a couple days ago actually yeah and i was saying how how much i i dig it and I, I really dig what it's doing. And a, a problem arose in the conversation, which is that 
he couldn't really understand and i don't know if it's not something he's understanding as as much as it's just an, an actual thing about the game like it's just tetris that <laughs> what what elevates it from from just tetris because it is just things. tetris it, it is just tetris um i mean look two things i think um one is and and you can i think it's worth bearing in mind you can play this game in vr or not you don't have to and it's great either way vr is probably the better way to play it because it really does kind of surround you um i think two things one is each stage in Tetris Effect, um, you know, you, you start with a you start with a totally empty board, and the board that I don't know what the technical term for it is, so I'm just going to call it the Tetris board, where you place the blocks. Sure. The the board basically kind of hangs or hovers in the middle of an environment that that surrounds you in the middle of like a, a level. Um, each one has a completely different theme. And as you play the game, as you fill the board and you clear lines, you sort of progress through the level. So the level around you and the music change as you progress. And what's really interesting to me is like every level has its own soundtrack or, or its own piece of music, but it's not like the music just plays in the background regardless of what you're doing. Um, so let's say you're playing a fairly sort of difficult level and you're not clearing many blocks to begin with the music will will not progress like it's very difficult to describe but the music itself progresses based on your progression in the game so there'll be in each level, there'll be a certain amount of lines that you have to clear to beat that level. Usually I think it's about 30 lines. And as you progress from like one to 10, you know, the music will play at a particular tempo and there'll right, be yeah. something happening in the background. And then it's like, you get to 10 and the music changes again and the level changes again. And as the level and the music change, the tempo will change and the blocks will start to come faster or the type of blocks that become more prevalent will change. Um, so there's this kind of dynamic nature uh, to the game. It doesn't just feel like a, a plain old game of Tetris. You actually kind of feel like you're progressing through this stage. And the more you play, especially the early levels where you just kind of knock one over after the other, you you get into this like it's kind of just like a flow state i guess i'd call it where and i reckon that's where the game gets really good because you're you're no longer kind of thinking carefully about each block if that makes sense you're all you almost get to the point where you're just kind of playing the game by feel and that's when the game gets really good and that's where time just disappears and you just feel like you're completely absorbed into this experience. So it's it's really interesting how, you know, fundamentally it is Tetris, right? It's pretty basic. Yeah. But everything they're doing with it um, 
gets you in this really interesting kind of flow state that's really peaceful and relaxing. Um, yeah, it's I, very, it's really very hard to describe. How, um, certain notes in the music seem to be tied, like they're not going to play unless you move the piece at that time. Correct, um, yeah. So it, it sounds like the, the music is coming out of your actions in setting up the, 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 the tetraminos and just how they're, they're falling and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it's always on rhythm, which is crazy. Like, I'm the one yeah. moving it. I'm not trying to make a certain rhythm, but it just sounds correct uh, yes. no matter what you do, yeah. which is amazing. I don't even, I have no idea how that works. <laughs> Yeah, and it's kind of an extension to to what they did in Res. They did that really well in Res, but it's it's even better here. Um, yeah, so it's it, it there is that feeling. On the one hand, you're kind of being guided, but on the other hand, you kind of feel like this maestro uh, that you know, like you're conducting this this incredible music, and the music is incredible um, and really varied too. So you'll have there's a couple of tracks that um that you'll hear on youtube that have become really popular um but but there's a lot of uh there's a lot of pieces in there that are like um like there's a couple of stages where you have kind of more tribal percussion based music and it's it's really widely varied in terms of soundtrack there was a uh there's a level that takes place in like a like a city and um the the music is all really impressionistic jazz yes um, yeah that's right which i i thought that level was amazing um, yeah it's gorgeous and it's still all just tetris it's just, like it, it's yeah. ju- it is just tetris but it, there's so <laughs> many things that re uh reorganize how you feel about playing tetris i i i uh i liken it to the witness a little bit yeah because um the, the witness is my favorite game um and I, I end up talking to people about it often because it, it it just does so many things that I feel haven't necessarily been been done by other games. And, and one of them, one of the, the the hardest parts to explain is when people say, "Oh, so it's it's just line puzzles," and like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is. That's correct. Yeah. You're never gonna go to a place in the game that isn't a line puzzle, mm. but. Um, the the context it puts you in and the the meditative state that it creates it's not just like a relaxing state it, it it's a it's a carefully calculated yes um, pro thinking state that um, allows the line puzzles to become more than just where do I draw the line in your head mm. they they bring on different feelings of of like phil- philosophical um, Mm. Uh, I, I ideas through those puzzles and i could never explain what's actually happening in there with words but tetris effect seems <laughs> to be doing the same sort of idea which is which is great yeah it's 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 really it's really masterful and it really like my understanding is that that term tetris effect is actually uh is actually a term that describes that yeah kind of obsessive flow state you can get into playing Tetris. Um, and maybe not everyone has experienced that with kind of the, the quote unquote standard Tetris game, but this game really, 
brings that out. This game really kind of, it, its whole purpose is to put you in that state and keep you in that state. And it's really effective at doing that. Um, I, I studied the Tetris effect in college. Um, that's oh, yeah. part of my, my cognitive science path. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's crazy. People will um, involuntarily play Tetris after they're done playing Tetris in their head. They're, they're still wired uh, <laughs> to continue playing the game without any visuals. And, and it, it's impressive how... Uh, how detailed the hallucinations can be because you, you can just close your eyes and you just see a Tetris board, but mm. it's not just, you know, an, uh, um, an approximation of what a Tetris board would probably look like. It's some sort of actual map where there's um, d- defined shapes in the holes that you need to fit Tetraminos into. Mm. It's, uh, it, it, it's a crazy thing that uh, not, not too many games are, pure enough i guess to do that um yeah if there's you know you're not going to do that with with mario because every level could be a different thing Mm. um but but tetris is is perfect for that and tetris effect seems to capitalize it uh capitalize on that really well um james i've been playing pokemon let's go pikachu and i've been doing it for a review the review is not done yet when we're talking but by the time this episode comes out it will be so. I feel like I'm I'm okay to start talking about it on the podcast. Um, I so I just finished it in terms of the actual story. So mm-hmm. uh, so that's done. Um, man, I don't know. <laughs> this game, like you and I have talked about this before. My my, my feelings on the the direction that this game took. Mm. And having played the game, I don't think any of those feelings really have changed. Yeah. I think there's a lot of bad decisions in Let's Go Pikachu. Yeah. Um One of the main, like, design forces that has been pushed onto this game is the limitation of choice, which is an interesting thing to do. Um, mm. Like, in... Pokemon Red and Blue were fairly non-linear open-world games, mm-hmm. um, especially after the third out of eight gyms. You you can go a lot of different places. Uh, yeah. You you can check out a lot of different things in, in any order you want, um, and and that's just not the same here. It, the order you need to do things is much more choreographed and uh, and purposefully given to you. In, in this game mm-hmm. and uh let, let let's see okay so starting with a pikachu or an eevee for sure like that's the thing you're going to start with that's that's a, a holdover from pokemon yellow the the game that these games are most closely based on mm-hmm. but i mean even in yellow i don't think that was necessarily the strongest idea because it focuses so much of the player's attention onto one pokemon on their team instead of like having feelings about their whole party. And I don't know if that's a good trade-off. Uh, like, yeah, you, you have way more, uh, you have a way more unique and, and uh, purposeful experience with this one Pokemon. Um, but you, you weren't, you didn't choose that Pokemon. It wasn't like a choice among three things, which I definitely prefer as a method of getting yeah. uh, your first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, th- there's, there's just, so many aspects of that are are uh, of the game are just about 
um, removing choice. And I think it, it might be out of fear that kids today just won't get it. Uh, like, they, they, they don't like having to choose. And I don't think that's true. I mean, I don't have data, obviously, and they would probably know more than me about this. But um, I, I can only look at what kids are doing now and try to remember what I was doing at that age. Mm. And both things are much more complicated than I think a lot of adult designers give kids credit for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this... all that said, it's still a fun <laughs> game. Like, I'm not going to say it's not a fun game. Uh, I think the core concept of what Pokemon is is so strong that you can make yeah. any kind of bad decisions <clears throat> you want about how the game should be, and it'll still be... F- more or less fine so that's where i am like if someone says will i have fun playing this game i'm not i I don't think you won't i think you will yeah 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 what did you think about the change to the whole cap catching mechanic um just the, the way that that plays out here is obviously very different like i noticed that you still have battles uh and that's still a core part of the experience but catching pokemon is is you know i guess it's sort of an a a switch approximation of pokemon go right Um, yeah exactly yeah Um, what what did you think of that change so i i think the i think the idea of making the battle system more like pokemon go is good in some aspects um like what happens in Pokemon Go is that you can see uh Pokemon on the on the map screen represented in a real physical location and then if you mm. click on it you go into it and that's represented here by they're they're no longer being random encounters you're not going to be yeah. walking through a grass and then just all of a sudden um you, you run into in into a Pokemon you can see mm-hmm. them on the overworld and so you can bypass all of them if you want or go into battle with them if you want and uh i there there's ups and downs that that um that that brings the i think the 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 benefit is just that it feels a lot faster and easier to get to wherever you want to go if you don't have to worry about like oh every 5 steps i'm going to run into a zubat in a cave right you can avoid yeah. the zubat if you want yeah uh, and that's yeah. great that's a big quality of life improvement um, but it also, it, it, it also plays around with, um, pacing in a mm. way that if you made a new Pokemon game from scratch with this in mind, it would, it might be fine. But because this is a remake of a, of, of Kanto, which is a region we've seen before, which is a map that had to be pretty much the same as it was in the Game Boy days, um... I think there's some pacing issues. It, the The world wasn't built for that. It wasn't mm. built for you to be able to avoid every uh, every every match that you want. Yeah, and, I see. yeah, and, and and there are there are battles against trainers, and mm. the the trainer. What I what I think is pretty clever is, is that uh, the the game turns uh canto from what it was in the game boy days which was that like every route you'll have a bunch of opportunities to get your pokemon and a bunch of opportunities to battle trainers and in this Mm -hmm. game um 
it bounces between, okay, this place is more focused on catching, and then this place is more focused on battling. So you're kind of going to go back and forth. Um, yeah. And and you need to do that because the, the processes of interacting with wild Pokemon versus interacting with trainers are fundamentally different. And that hasn't always been the case. In, in, in the past, in order to catch a wild Pokemon, you would go into a battle state, just like you would with a trainer, uh, mm-hmm. and, and either you can just defeat them it, or throw a ball at a certain time. And um, I, I gotta say, I don't know what, what good bringing the Pokemon Go catching mechanic does. Mm-hmm. Um, it is no one's favorite part of Pokemon Go. Is is the thing like <laughs> that? That is the that's the part of Let's Go that that mimics Pokemon Go the most, mm-hmm. and it's not a particularly strong part of Pokemon Go. And this is from coming from this is coming from someone that really likes Pokemon Go. Uh, yeah, so, like so many of the aspects of Go that I appreciate are are how it augments the real world and how uh, it, it can it can have different events all the time. There's always something new. Um, how it, it, it's a community-based game and mm-hmm. none of those things are are represented in let's go at all it it doesn't seem uh, there, there's going to be no like online events or anything i'm pretty sure um it, it's very individual it, it it uh it's limited all online capabilities just to battling and trading with specific friends so there's no mm-hmm. longer like random matches with with with, uh, with people on online that's been taken out. Uh, that was in there since the DS days, like since 2006, and now it's they they didn't want it in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's no longer a global trade system where you can uh, put Pokemon up for trade on on uh, online. That's been taken out. Um, so so there's there's so many aspects of it of Pokemon Go that I think are great and are probably underappreciated in the core Pokemon fan base. But Mm -hmm. Let's Go does not like those. Let's Go just likes catching thousands of Pokemon uh, because it it is, like the way it's designed, makes you just want to catch all the stuff. Uh, And that, I don't don't think that's a good move. I I think that, that hinders the RPG qualities of Pokemon because mm. it, at least for me, and I, I'm, this may not be, be global, but at least for me, so, some of my, my favorite memories I've had playing Pokemon are designing like unique teams and having teams of Pokemon that I grow stronger with because they're, they're with me the whole time. And it, it it's important that it's, it's important when I do that, that those Pokemon are treated like individuals and in let's yes, go. Yeah. You're just gonna catch thousands of Oddish, <laughs> yeah. and then thousands of Rattata, and because there's just so many, I like the the probability of me getting emotionally invested in one of those, it is really low. And I think the game tries to counteract that by having your investment with your main Pikachu or Eevee be stronger, mm-hmm. uh, and and I I don't think that's a fair counteract uh, mm-hmm. or a count counterbalance. Yeah, so, but but it's fun, <laughs> like <laughs> like the, this is this is the problem. Uh, w- when you're reviewing a game, sometimes you don't know whether to review just what it is 
or the opportunity costs of what it could have been. Um, and so that's that's what I'm working on right now in, in my review. <laughs> By the time this episode is out, you can go and check and how, at how well I did that. But um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a difficult yeah. balance, isn't it? And, and I wonder if, I mean, and we've talked about this a lot um, over Discord as well, but there is that whole element of this where... Um, you know, it it looks like this game is almost on a separate track to whatever the next Pokemon RPG is going to be. In the it sense definitely that, feels that way, yeah, 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 and it, it's almost like, and and I, I do wonder how effective this is going to be, but it's almost like this is kind of you know, aimed at, at those people who maybe they, their first experience with Pokemon was Pokemon Go. And, you know, this is Nintendo's attempt to try and... This is kind of an illustration of their whole philosophy of, you know, uh, we'll build some awareness on mobile and we'll find a way to bridge the gap between the mobile experience and the Nintendo console experience. Um, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how successful that is because it, it kind of leads me to another question, which is, did you, uh, when you played this game, did you connect it to your, your Pokemon Go? Uh, yeah, your Pokemon Go account? I did, yeah. I, I wanted and, to do um, every aspect of what the game is, yeah. which is why I'm actually not completely <clears throat> done playing it for the review. I still There's some post-game stuff that I want to make sure I see and understand before I start writing. Mm, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I did. I, I connected Pokemon Go to Let's Go, and it uh, it works. I mean, it, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Um, the, the thing is, you can put as many Pokemon from Pokemon Go that you catch in, in the Switch game as you, as you want. You can put them mm -hmm. as many as you want. And it's easy to do, and it's just it's almost like throwing them away because yeah. go is this game that has this online environment where I'm competing with other people and that's a more life, uh, lively game. It has a much longer lifespan. It's been going since summer of 2016 and I think it has a number of years ahead of it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so every time I put a Pokemon from that game into this switch game that I'm, will be done with soon, I feel yeah. a little bit of a sting there. Um, because I, I feel like I'm dooming that Pokemon to just live on the Switch. And the, the transfer only goes one way. It goes from the phone yeah, to the Switch. I see. Uh, it does not go the other way. Which so I understand you... because it would it would mess up the economy that they have going on in Pokemon Go. But but still, yeah. it feels a, a bit uh, a bit rough to know that like the, you can really only put your Pokemon in this thing that is going to be antiquated soon. So do you when you transfer from Pokemon Go to Let's Go, do you lose the Pokemon in Go? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you so you are kind of sentencing them to a form of solitary confinement on the Switch. Yeah, um the the upside of that is that it's not been confirmed yet, but it's looking likely that Pokemon Bank, which is Pokemon's <clears throat> cloud-based storage that they've been using since um, Pokemon X and Y in 2013, mm -hmm. um, will be compatible with Let's Go. 
so you can put all that stuff when that when that happens on the on the bank um and then you can bring those to you know generation eight which, which will come out next year hopefully like mm-hmm. that's that's the hope that um yeah that the pokemon you, you grow to love in in this game will have some sort of um uh, exodus opportunity yeah yeah and um th- that that's cool um I, I was just surprised. I thought they were going to market this like, hey, this is like a full Pokemon game that you can use Pokemon Go as, as like a supplemental material for. But really, yeah. it's it's the other way around for sure. Pokemon Go is the big game. This is supplemental material for it. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Um, mm. Which is, I, I think it makes all of my gripes with it a little more fine. Um, like it, mm-hmm. it's maybe it's okay that they didn't uh, make this perfect Pokemon game. It's just it's a supplement for for Go, which I like already. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I'm just worried. Like, well, even though it's not that big of a deal for this game because it's just one game, and we got a regular Pokemon game last year, we're gonna get a regular Pokemon game next year. Um, there, some of these decisions are so baffling to me that I worry that they don't understand what they've done. So, mm. um, like, I, I would be worried for some of these things to be uh, implemented in future Pokemon titles because I don't think they're good. And I, yeah. I, I, I've I, been uh, told that, you, you know, you don't need to worry about that. This is a very specific beginner-focused Pokemon game. The next thing will be a more traditional, uh, more, more directed at the existing veteran fan base pokemon game don't worry and i get it and that's probably true for the most part but junichi masuda the director of this game and uh, I, b- I believe the director of game freak right now he's he's mm-hmm. come out and he's said actually we could see let's go impacting the design of games in the pokemon series for the next 20 years and yeah. and like i i don't know how i should react to that if not if not worry for the future of how this uh, these decisions are going to impact the future. Like, okay, James, get this. The first gym <laughs> of the game is Brock. He has Rock-type mm-hmm. Pokemon, and uh, they're also Ground-type Pokemon, which means that they have a uh, four times weakness to Water-type moves and Grass-type moves. Mm-hmm. So if you just want to like trample through that gym, it's super easy. It's the first gym in the game. Like you could read it as like the first world boss in uh in like a zelda game or something um you just have a grass or water type attacker on your team and you're and you're done and like you you blow past it but i wasn't planning on doing that what i because uh my pikachu learned a fighting type move so i thought oh great uh fighting type is good against rock type it's not a four times weakness but it's still it's still going to be like good enough to make sure my pikachu will probably win um yeah and I got to that gym, and bef- before I was able to walk in, there was this, like, a bouncer. There was a bouncer at the gym uh, who said, um, Hi, welcome to the first gym. It's it's all about rock-type Pokemon here. Do you have a water or grass-type Pokemon that could beat them? And I didn't have one in my party at the time. So he said, Well, we're only letting... Uh, players in or we're only letting trainers in that basically know what they're doing so uh you'll have to go get a grass type pokemon i was floored 
because this is a remake of 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 a game that I really love a lot. It I really really love Red and Blue so much for their um the amount of creativity and the number of options you have uh like you can come at things sideways with creative uh strategies like giving mm. a Pikachu a fighting type move in order to beat a rock gym. Like I was I was excited to do that and they said no actually you need to just be like have have this thing that we think you can beat so you don't get sad that you lose. And that really upset mm. me. And then like yeah. that was that was that was just the first gym, but every gym has some sort of um restriction on it. Like there was a gym that also turned me away uh, away later in the game because my Pokemon were slightly under leveled. Uh, and then by the time oh. I did something else and came back, they were way too over leveled. So yeah, it, yeah, it it was. There's just there's just so much gating uh, that's mm. been added to the, this open world game that it like now it's absolutely not an open world game. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and it makes me wonder like. If it's for the Go players that are transitioning into what Game Freak hopes will be buying the the main series games, what is it offering that would appeal to them? Um, mm. Like, I understand that it needs to be maybe toned down a little bit in terms of complexity so that they're not immediately put off. And I get that. That, like, fair enough. But it, it still needs to be offering something that they would, they would like. And... Um, aside from the, the throwing mechanic, like the catching mechanic being similar to how it is in Go, I don't know what it is because it's not like, well, it's like Go, but it's this big world because it, the world itself is so, so simple. And, uh, yeah. The, okay. One, one more thing. We're definitely talking about this way too long, <laughs> but one, <laughs> one more final, final thing that, that bothered me a little bit about Let's Go Pikachu <clears throat> was that, um, it it uses the the map space from the uh the Game Boy games absolutely so mm. you start in a small town called Pallet Town and in the Game Boy games that's represented by just three buildings that's obviously not a town but it's an abstraction thing you know the, the Game Boy is just four colors a very limited number of pixels on the screen um if if you want to tell me three buildings is a town and like it's just two houses and a lab. It's not even a store or anything. Uh, I'll believe you, because it's it's an abstraction thing. But now it's like see see Kanto being given new life. Except it's not really, because it's still two houses and a lab. It's just yeah. like that's what the whole town is, and the whole game feels like um, just just this really clean, um, still some weird sort of abstraction, but you can see it clearly. Um, like it's it's an HD in in 3D, um, but it it's still just um, some some uh, minimalist interpretation of what a town could be, and it's yeah. not like that's just what Pokemon is because Pokemon Sun and Moon have full size towns and full size cities and and a living breathing world and like there's there's a I remember in, in Sun and Moon, there was just, like, some person's house. And it was it had, like, a whole upstairs with, like, a bunch of different rooms. And it struck me as what a real house looks like. Um, mm. Which is strange, because usually it's just, like, well, the upstairs is your entire room, and the downstairs <laughs> is a kitchen. <laughs> like, that's what it usually looks like in Pokemon. 
um, like, like the, the the later 3DS games had gotten so good at making a believable world, and it, it's just not even on the menu of things they want to try here. Um, mm. So, 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 yeah. When I was talking to you before about like who's this game for, I don't really mean that. Like, I know it's for beginner players, but um, what does it offer them? Is is the main question, and I'm I'm not yeah. sure there's anything significant in that way yeah 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 that that makes a lot of sense and you know i I think you're right that like i can understand this game maybe being a little simpler than kind of the full-blown rpgs but at the same time i would have thought that if you love pokemon go one of the one of the things that would appeal to you about a console release would be that it would be a bigger world or a more um a more involved detailed world or you know that that there's there would be this natural idea that you're moving to something that's a bit more in depth like you're ready for the next step kind of thing um yeah and and it doesn't really seem like that's on the table here no not so much i think what it, like the the biggest thing that it offers and this is good and it's huge is that it's a story mode for pokemon go um yeah yeah pokemon go has has no real uh narrative to follow uh and pokemon has always had that so so giving that game some variation of that is cool um yeah and and that's that it's definitely like like i was saying like it's still a, a net positive for like just in terms of what this game is it's it's like it's fine and i i think that's what the controversy is from because people mm. said man all these decisions seem like bad decisions and, and then they played it and then they go oh wait i liked that and i'm not saying that's not going to happen and i'm not even saying it didn't happen to me i'm just saying that um pokemon is so strong that that's gonna happen like you you you, mm. you could make a worse version of something and it would still be great um but yes yeah yeah but that's yeah uh definitely too much specific pokemon let's go talk uh so let's move on to the newsy nibble so james great news nintendo is killing the creators program very good news very extremely good news um yeah so the creators program for those who don't know was a monetary partnership system that Nintendo uh, used mostly with YouTubers. I, th- I think some mm. other social media influencers as well, but mostly YouTubers um, that said, if you use um, Nintendo game footage like um, for a review or a Let's Play or uh, an analysis, anything, that's fine. And you're allowed to do that because they legally can't say that you're not allowed to do that. But... Uh, they've inter- entered a partnership with with YouTube that basically says any videos that have this, um, just all of the proceeds go to us. All of the advertising money goes to us. And if you're a partner, we can uh, in in the creators program, we can give you some out of our kindness, <laughs> out of the kindness of our <laughs> hearts. You can be privy to some of that money. And I, it's it's obviously been heavily criticized since it's uh 
Inception because it flies straight in the face with most countries' established view of what free use is and how Mm -hmm. you actually can't do that legally. Um, But there was just never that big court case. There was just never that big court case that you would hope would happen that would establish Mm. legal precedents for companies doing stuff like this to uh, content creators on the internet and uh, it being ruled illegal because it it, uh, contradicts free use. And I think it's a little bit of a bummer that there was never that court case because it doesn't really set that much of a precedent for other uh, companies, but Nintendo themselves killing it uh, is still great. It'll really impact um discourse on youtube in a positive way in in the in the future yeah and i i thought that their their attempt to do this originally was very short-sighted just on its face because you know the fact of the matter is that you've got all of these millions of fans around the world who want to talk about your products they want to celebrate your products. Um, I I have no idea if there's a clear way of measuring this, but surely a lot of the work that content creators do ultimately leads to increased sales. I mean, surely, oh, yeah. you know, you're, you're convincing a lot of people will decide to buy a game, maybe that they weren't otherwise that interested in based on what they see on YouTube and what they read. Um, so it seems to me that they were sort of actively killing off a lot of what was what amounted to sort of free promotion. Um, and, you know, a lot of creators go to enormous effort. They go to a fair bit of expense themselves to actually put these productions together. Um, it just never made sense to me that Nintendo wanted to jump into the middle of that. Um, and I think what they've done now where they've just got a set of fairly simple clear guidelines is really all they need to do um you know they can still they can still maintain a degree of control or a degree of um you know they can still set some boundaries i guess around around the footage that people can use and the way that they can share it um without kind of just putting the boot on everybody's necks and you know (laughs) killing off all this this content yeah, um, I believe the one major restriction that they still have is that uh, if it's just raw footage of a game without any commentary or editing to yes. in- include other uh, like visual aspects on top of it, it is still mm. not allowed. And I think that's great, yeah. actually. Um, it, at least in America's legal definition of free use, um, free use is a defense, which means that you you are guilty of um uh, of infringing on copyright but um you you can use the freeze defense to explain why it's okay and mm. one one of the the definitions of free use includes that it needs to be transformative so if mm. if it's um if you're using that footage for parody uh that that's transforming it if you're using it for a review that's transforming it uh we kind of have never really had any kind of legal precedents establishing whether or not let's plays are transformative because it is just um playing the game as it was intended to be played 
for the most part, right? And yeah, I'm really glad yeah. that this doesn't seem to be a half measure saying like, okay, reviews and analyses, that's mm. fine. Um, but let's plays, we're still gonna like, still gonna worry about. Uh, mm. it, it, it's really good that they seem to have kind of gone all the way. It's a complete 180, really. Just everything that is potentially transformative is now just fine. Yeah, and I think even for Let's Plays, I mean, usually, like, I don't watch a lot of Twitch. I watch it here and there, but it seems to me that you you usually can't have a successful Twitch stream of, of any game unless you're doing some kind of commentary or discussion or something. It doesn't seem to be all that common that you just see a stream where nobody's talking and you're just watching footage. I mean, they do exist, but... Um, I feel like most content that people create is going to have some transformative aspect to it naturally anyway. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, I think this is really positive. Um, it's not something that really, uh, uh, that's really affected us very much um, at super jump. Cause no. we obviously haven't really done YouTube. We, we've had some footage in, in an article and we've had some footage on social media, but um you know, even in those cases, like we've, we've always, there's always been an embargo involved or there's been some explicit guidelines given to us about, you know, what we could shoot and how we could present it, um, which was never sort of terribly restrictive anyway. But I, I hope that this really kind of opens the door for, um, you know, for, for a lot more content creators on YouTube. Yeah, I, I I hope it does too. We've uh, we've always had a really good relationship with Nintendo, but we've I don't know how much we've really tested it. And uh, mm. th these people make a living off of something that I enjoy watching, so I I'm mm. happy to see them uh, get this win. They they don't often get wins as YouTubers. They've had a lot of uh, yeah legal definitely. and monetary and. Uh, political dogpiling recently and yes uh that's you know it's unfortunate it's it's really unfortunate especially because just being owned by google you would assume hey man take the loss sometimes <laughs> like google you have so much money <laughs> just have a slightly less and it would be fine <laughs> and yeah. it, it would be fine if you just had a little bit less money uh, but of course that's not how it works so uh, so seeing this is great. Let's talk about something that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so Fallout 76 came out, and it is surprising uh, to me that a Bethesda game can be tarnished like this. Because it, it seemed like Bethesda was becoming a Naughty Dog or a Nintendo where it, it's like, okay, when when you make something of a certain size and scale, it, you're going to get good reviews no matter what. Maybe not, like, amazing reviews if it's bad, but you, you're going to get, like, some praise because you, you are of a certain prestige that people, I don't know, maybe they feel dumb if they don't like something from one of these people. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that... Bethesda is not of that group right now because they absolutely got blasted for Fallout 76. 
Uh, it is one of their only <laughs> critical flops in a very long time. And you've been playing it. I have indeed. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been trying to. Trying to Jeez, is the okay. operative phrase. Yeah. Um, and look, it's probably worth saying, I don't know if this is a distinction without a difference, but there's there's the actual game itself and the quality or lack thereof of the game itself. Okay. But then, then there's the, I'm just going to call it like cloud of bullshit around the game. <laughs> just the technical interface <laughs> of it? Yeah. No, I'm, I mean things like, um, I mean, you, you will have seen by now uh, the controversy around the collector's edition and the bag <laughs> yeah. that was supposed to come with it. Um, and it's like, it's, it's at, at every single step of the way, Bethesda have just like it's like they've turned a corner and walked straight into a lamppost and then they turn another corner and walk straight into another one and they're just completely bruised and battered through their own just unbelievable stupidity and short-sightedness James you gotta give Um, me a story about this game that you a a personal (laughs) anecdote I feel like everyone who's played this game has some (laughs) well mine okay so (laughs) you immediately had it you didn't even have to yeah, think about yeah, it. Yeah. You were just, just ready to jump in. No, immediately had it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I started the game up and, you know, the intro is is pretty cool and everything. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll see how we go. You know, I'm willing to give it a chance. I get to my first town and I get to my first town and I'm, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously it's all abandoned. There's, you, you will have you will have heard that there are really no kind of uh there are no human npcs anywhere everybody's dead which is a really positive way to start everybody's dead sure and so i'm exploring this house and i keep hearing this cow mooing <laughs> like it sounds like it's right behind me and it's starting to freak me out i'm like and i keep turning around i'm like where is this damn cow i can hear it right over my shoulder it's scaring me and then I walk into the kitchen of this house and there is a cow <laughs> floating in the kitchen upside down, like with its legs and its udder clipping through the ceiling. <laughs> it's like right above the sink in this kitchen. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just stood there marveling at it. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like that, that's actually scary. That yeah. I felt like I was playing <laughs> a horror game. Scary. It was really terrifying. And I, I wanted to like kill this cow just to put it out of its misery. Sure. It looked like it was suffering. Um, <laughs> so I think that happened probably 10 minutes into the game. <laughs> <laughs> but the worst thing, the thing that I think is unforgivable oh so okay there are there are bugs little you know bethesda bugs everywhere which i've i've always argued that these bugs were really unacceptable even when i i always got annoyed that people would give bethesda game studios a pass and say oh yeah the dragon's flying backwards ha 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 yeah that's just bethesda no it's not (laughs) like come on you know, yeah. Um, Why would you? Some want little that bugs here and there are fine. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's not okay. 
you know, like Nintendo can produce Breath of the Wild, which is a massive, massive, massive game with heaps of stuff and not suffer from these issues. Like it's not good enough. It's an, it annoys me that they're there, you know, like they shouldn't get a pass. Yeah. And maybe, but, maybe a comparison to Nintendo is, is hard to like, maybe that's a little unfair because it's Nintendo, you know, every company's felt like, well, I can't just make Mario. Um, but a comparison to well, Ubisoft, I think is totally fair. And well, they're making yeah. these big open world games mm-hmm. and it, this just doesn't happen to them. Like this kind of stuff no. just doesn't like they're they're doing stuff around the same scope as Bethesda, and it's just not that much of an issue. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know this is a bit of an aside, I guess, but I'm seeing a lot of comments online about, um, you know, like it's a QA problem, and I'm thinking, man, I feel sorry for these QA guys because I bet my bottom dollar that they are raising a giant backlog of bugs. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's the QA guys. It's it's the product management people. It's the people who are looking at this game at a, at a point in time and saying, this is okay to release and we're going to charge people money for this. It's all about bad product management to release something in this state. Um, but, you know, upside down cows aside, because that was kind of funny, the thing that... I think is unforgivable is the amount of crashing that this game uh, that that you experience playing this game. I've been playing for about maybe four or five hours and I've had at least four hard crashes out of the game. Um, and it's, it's gotten to the point where if I, like if I if I zoom in on my rifle scope to shoot an enemy and the frame rate slows down a little bit, I like clench because I'm thinking, oh, oh, we're about to crash, we're about to crash. And then we don't crash, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um and you can crash at like any time. And it <laughs> seems to it seems to mostly happen when you you do an action that causes the frame rate to drop. You'll, you'll either survive it, like the frame rate will pick up again, or the game will just shit itself completely and <laughs> completely boot you out. Wow, this game. And I've actually, if I, on the rare occasion I've had a crash on PS4, when you get a crash, you can, you can like submit the crash. Um, and, you know, it, it sends like a screenshot and footage of what you were doing and you can put a comment and I never put a comment. I just submit it. I'm like, yeah, report it, report it. With this, <laughs> with Fallout 76, on my third crash, I made a comment. I'm like, guys, this is the third time the game's crashed in a couple of hours. And then the fourth time it crashed, I put another comment. I'm like, guys, fourth time it crashed. Not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's that's like aside from anything else. That's the thing for me that's been the most painful because it just makes you completely gun-shy. Like, you you know, it's one thing to have a game that has design flaws or funny bugs here or there. But this is just in a state that it's just, it's not even like an alpha state. It's, I, I just don't know, I really don't know how anyone 
could have looked at this or played it for more than 15 minutes and decided that it was ready for prime time. Yeah. That's the key thing for me. That's, uh, I mean, that, that seems to be the takeaway from everyone right now. Um, it, 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 man, it really seems to have sunk Fallout to a really low level of prestige. Fallout used to be a really prestigious, um, series. Like, I think that the, the first two games were really big in their own niche community, but then Fallout 3 blew up people's minds, and Fallout New Vegas was, uh, really great, and then 4 seemed to have, um, the, the reception to that seemed to be a little bit lesser and now this is just it, it's just amazing uh i was talking with yeah. wyatt on i don't remember if you were on that episode or not but we were talking about reviews mm. and how the, the 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 job of reviews has changed in the last uh 20 or 30 years at least in terms of, of game reviews because it used to be like games are utilitarian purchases if there are so many bad NES games that just, like, don't work, that are just shoddily made. Um, or especially, mm. if you want to go back further, most Atari 2600 games are garbage. And mm. uh, you need that review to say, like, okay, you're you're a mom or a dad shopping at a toy store and you want to buy something that doesn't completely just break down immediately because uh, you're only buying one yeah. game, probably. And now... Yeah reviews are a much more like they're, they're much more toward what traditional art reviews have been analyzing mm -hmm. what makes the game worth talking about um mm. so it, it's weird it, it, it has become that because uh most games now aren't broken like in terms of being competent mm. most games are uh like e even games that aren't really considered great and have uh garnered a reputation for not being bad like ukulele comes mm. to mind from from or for being bad rather ukulele comes to mind people didn't like that game last year i mm -hmm. i thought it was good but that's beside the point people didn't like it um that game doesn't break down it's totally finishable <laughs> yeah like it, yeah, it's it's playable exactly. it works everything that it does it like it tries is is done um so when we see something like this, it's it's just so shocking that this can happen with this much money poured into it, and mm. the developers just seemed fine. They just seemed fine with it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's there's the whole argument about, <clears throat> and I think this is at least partly true. There's the whole argument about saying a lot of it's about how you pitch it. So I mean, if they had have come out right off the bat and said, you know, it's, it's early access. Um, it's, it's either going to be free initially or very, very yeah. inexpensive or something. Um, you know, we're, we're testing these new ideas that we've never done before. We don't really know if this is going to work. We want to take your feedback. Like there's a whole way they could have approached this that I think would have really changed the, the reaction because the sad thing is like, conceptually this is a really interesting game um the idea of being in that fallout world with other people where you know the reason you don't have human npcs is because you have a group of real people who are kind of rebuilding the world after this massive war is an interesting concept and 
there's there's a lot about what they've done that is really i think quite different and intriguing like for example um and and there are a lot of people who don't like this but the way they've approached pvp in in fallout 76 is really interesting in the sense that like say like sea of thieves or a game like that where you've got this shared world with real people right um it's it's pve and pve uh, pve and pvp combined but what they've done in fallout 76 is you know first of all you're you can't engage in pvp at all between level one and fives which makes a lot of sense because they don't want veteran players just hanging around vault 76 where you first emerge at level one and just taking out all the new players on mass um you know like baby turtles on a beach like they they don't want to do that which makes a lot of sense but then beyond level five they have this system where if i attack another player i will do some damage but it's really really minimal it's almost negligible if i follow them around for ages and ages i can whittle them down and kill them if i do that i will become wanted so I will kind of show up in flashing lights on the world map okay. and I will be a target for everybody else, which is, I think that's a cool idea because in that case, I've, the idea is that I've actually murdered another player. I haven't engaged in a fair fight. Yeah. Very Grand Theft Auto. Um, yeah. Um, and then if I attack another player and they attack me back, we both kind of do full damage to each other and we've, We've kind of done that PvP handshake. Um, now there's a whole, there are a whole lot of people who who are talking about, you know, um, that's too restrictive. Maybe they need PvP dedicated PvP servers and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But what it's led to is a bit of a first for me, which is, um, I in these kind of games, like I might do matchmaking or something. But I never really just approach random people and start chatting to them and and join them. Partly because in a lot of these games, like Sea of Thieves, for example, I just, I play very defensively and I make the assumption that they're just going to attack me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if I'm friendly. Fallout 76, I've had a really different experience. Like, I've been out in the the wilderness. uh, Someone's walked past me and stopped. We've both said hello. And the other person's like, oh, do you want to join me? I'm doing this event right now. Do you want to come with me and help me? I'm like, yeah, sure. And because they were a higher level and a bit more experienced, they could sort of point out certain things to me. They're like, oh, you know, if you go to that house, you can get this item, go in that room and check this out. Like they were kind of guiding me through. We were chatting about Fallout. Like, you know, I mean, it was great until their game crashed and they got got sucked out of the world mid conversation um (laughs) (laughs) you know it was all good until then but after that interaction i thought oh that was really that was really kind of refreshing because there is this sense that the world is in terms of the human players that the world is sort of friendly and you're all giving each other advice and helping each other so there's like a a seed of something really cool here but it's just nowhere near developed enough and it's in such a bad state technically that 
Um, I think a lot of people just aren't going to have those good experiences. They're going to, you know, if they bought this game, not really knowing what it is, they're going to play it and they're probably very quickly going to return it. So I was listening to the Easy Allies podcast, which I heartily recommend, and uh, Ben Moore. Oh, no, it was one of the Easy Allies uh, other podcasts. It was called Frame Trap. And Ben Moore was yep. talking about Fallout 76 and if it could turn around like No Man's Sky or Final Fantasy XIV mm-hmm. or Sea of Thieves, something like that that launched poorly but became better over time. And he said yeah. maybe, but like with those games, it was often just there wasn't enough fun stuff to do. And uh, yes. if, if there was a glitch problem... That wasn't really the big thing. It was more just like mm. more content needed to be added to the actual game itself and it needed to be tweaked until it was good. Um, and mm. in Fallout 76, uh, he he said he kind of felt like the foundation of it was just tied up with duct tape. So it's not that I want more yes. in it. It's just that it sucks. <laughs> So, which is a, yeah. it's a, I mean, it's rough, but I that seems like an interesting distinction from those yeah. other games. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like, um, in terms of content and stuff to do, it's launched with way more stuff to do than either Sea of Thieves or No Man's Sky. So there's not, I don't think there's an issue really in terms of like breadth of content. Um I think the the two big problems in my mind are one, the technical underpinnings are, yeah, it, it's like um, bubble gum and paddle pop sticks stuck together. It's um, wait, do you have paddle pops in America? I don't know what those are. What is that? Okay, like like an ice cream stick, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah, like just a popsicle yeah. stick. Is a paddle yeah pop popsicle a, stick? Like there, a popsicle. You, there you go. A paddle pop is is a specific type of popular ice cream here okay um yeah so that that's kind of like it it feels like you're on this really shaky technical ground um all the time so and it feels so fundamental that i it's not like they have this awesome technical foundation and a lack of content that they can just keep adding i think they're going to be in this cycle so long as this game survives and they don't kill it they're going to be in this cycle of just constantly patching this thing that is just fundamentally broken. Right. Um, even if you look at the first patch they delivered and even the second patch and the bugs they're fixing, they're barely scratching the surface. They're barely, barely scratching the surface. There's still going to be a lot of crashes, um, a lot of fundamental problems. And then... The other problem the game has, I think, is a design problem where it's, if you think about like Fallout 4, you had slightly better gunplay than Fallout 3 in New Vegas. It was a bit more kind of dynamic, but it was not a first person shooter, really. Like you still needed the VAT system. You still needed to slow down time to hit targets a lot of the enemies are really fast moving and they get in your face really quickly. And it's not like you have destiny style controls that are really flawless. It's, it's, it's not, it's like you're pushing a shopping trolley around uh, when you're aiming. So you, because of this fundamental mismatch, you really need vats. 
But in Fallout 76, because it's all online with real people, that's does not, you can still use it, but it doesn't slow down time. It's just like a weird auto aiming system. So I can engage VATS while an enemy's running toward me and I can see the the little percentage indicator increasing that I've got like 90% chance of hitting them. But I'm pointing my gun in the opposite direction and I shoot and I still hit them. Um, it's... Yeah, the, wow. The, it's, <laughs> it just doesn't really work. It's like they've they've taken this design concept that's really based around a, a slower rpg and they've kind of grafted these first person online first person shooter elements into it and it just at a fundamental design level it's pretty awkward a lot of the time so i feel like there's so much change required that it's not the sort of thing you can just do like weekly patches it's I actually think they need to just kill it or, you know, it needs to go away <laughs> and they need to, they need to really kind of rethink it. It's, it's, yeah. It, uh, so I would agree. It's not like Sea of Thieves or No Man's Sky. It ha- it has a really rocky foundation. Well, I, I'm going to be interested to see how they deal with this. <laughs> I've been, I've been wondering can a pillar lifestyle game die like is it even possible um from a smaller developer sure but it seems like these games that launch with such poor reception just have to stick around uh and these companies seem to have to keep working on it um like what could happen like what 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 could really mm. Bethesda just yeah. is just going to keep working on it. I just I don't think they're going to kill it. I'd like them to kill it because I I would I would like to imagine that we live in a marketplace that is actually close to a working free market with this like it some sort of yeah. approach to meritocracy that's like if your game sucks yeah. and we don't buy it it goes away and you do other things. <laughs> like that is that's what it should be and it seems to happen more yeah. or less with uh with single player games because those you don't need to just pay attention to forever uh you can put them out and then kind of forget about it and just look at hey did that do well no i guess we won't do that again then um but with with stuff like fallout 76 i i feel like they're just they're just going to go forever on it because okay so game engines right a lot of people are talking about the game engine for this game because it's uh, an augmented but still pretty identical version of the Skyrim and Fallout 4 engine, which is now over seven years old. And uh, it wasn't even, if we're if we're being honest, it wasn't even that great at the time. Skyrim was very no. bu- buggy, even by 2011 standards. So it why does it think it's fine to keep using it why does why does bethesda keep using this engine um like what's up with it i and i i know a, a lot of people are uh criticizing people who are criticizing um bethesda for using old engines because people use old material all the time to great effect um some of my favorite games are are technically reskinnings of other engines um, but 
this engine isn't good. That's what. That's the difference. <laughs> you should reuse stuff when it yeah. is still good. That's yeah, that's right. And and I have seen and I. It's tricky because there are people who definitely misunderstand what a game engine is and misunderstand the idea that you know you. It, it, that it's not this single thing that you replace that it's kind of this yeah this amalgamation of of different kind of modular components that handle different different parts of the game so to speak um and i think one example of that with with fallout 76 is um they've definitely updated the rendering component the rendering engine here because uh although the graphics are, are basically shit um <laughs> <laughs> yeah although the, okay although <laughs> although they're basically shit um they have added this new like god rays like they've improved the lighting um okay. but, but the, the thing that's really i just feel i i can't help but feel a bit bad for todd howard because i wonder if he's seen any other video games in the last five years because they talk about oh you know we got this awesome new lighting engine and stuff and i'm like man the stuff you're doing in that lighting engine, when it works, when it works, it does not always work. It does some weird, weird stuff like God rays coming up from the ground, um, the sky, like, thank God I don't have epilepsy because I went into a town and the sky started started flashing like between day and night. Oh my God. And I like, I thought my pupils were going to dilate and I was going to fall off my chair um that was like a health hazard i bet um <laughs> yeah yeah so even you know they've made this update to the rendering engine but it's that the what they're presenting is really an effect that many many different developers kind of mastered at least five or six years ago so it's there's this sense of kind of playing catch up but you're playing catch up with really old games like we're way, way beyond that now. Um, so I, I think even though there's been some misunderstanding about what game engines are and everything, I do think there is pretty clearly a problem with the technology they're using here. Um, Todd Howard did say that the reason they love this tool set is because and I think this is kind of damning in Fallout 76's case, he said it allows us to build worlds really quickly, which is evident. Like they've obviously yeah. built Fallout 76 in two seconds. Um, <laughs> he said we can build worlds really quickly. And he said it's great in terms of like modders have been working with it for years and they're really familiar with it. And, you know, it gives them a lot of flexibility in terms of the modding. Oh, yeah. Um, well, speaking of that. Uh, did you hear about the cheat engine thing? Uh, no, I don't think so. So, um, being being that it's an online game, it's much more important for this game versus other Bethesda titles to have um, pr like ways to tell if someone's cheating and augmenting the, yeah. the game's code in any way while you're actually on a regular server. Um, mm. So, the way it does that is it searches for a file in the in 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 the folder called cheat engine if it's called anything else it's fine 
I did. I didn't hear that exact story, but I did hear something about someone was talking about. Um, there's been some analysis of of these Fallout seventy six servers, and it'll be related to that uh, to that story where I forget what podcast I was listening to, but they were talking about the fact that these servers basically don't have any anything resembling like normal security protocols that yeah servers would normally have so they just seem to like you can make requests of these servers and they just kind of accept that they just process whatever they're given effectively and um i wish i could remember the podcast so i could direct everybody to it um but it was really fascinating in terms of in terms of what it means for the potential to not just break the game, but completely, completely distort it uh, in a way that just makes it completely unplayable for anyone. Uh, I mean, if it could be any more unplayable. Um, so it it does make me... I think people are probably a bit... a right to be concerned about the impact that all of this could have on you know, Starfield and Elder Scrolls six. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's a, a real concern. If Bethesda thought that old technology that clearly isn't working anymore was good enough for Fallout 76, would they likely also feel that way for Starfield? Um, I mean, mm. Elder Scrolls six is a, a while away. So I'm, I mean, anything could happen between that and that uh, now and that. But Starfield seems closer, like close-ish, at least. Um, maybe even end of next year. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, it, it seems like if they thought it would be a bad idea for Starfield to have this engine, they also would have thought that for this, and they didn't. So, yeah, that's worrying. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, with everything that's happened with Fallout seventy six, um, I mean, I I'm I always try to remain an optimist. Um, sure. I yeah. I hope that with with all of the feedback that they've had, um, I do hope that they really give us a more honest acknowledgement of the state of things and that they that it prompts them to make some different decisions about what they do in the future um because it it definitely seems really unsustainable um i mean you know you you mentioned earlier about this idea that you know will they just have to keep supporting fallout 76 forever but i can imagine that like I don't know what the sales are for it now. I get the impression it's actually sold relatively well. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of refunds happening as yeah. well. But um, I think if they get to a point where the game's really no longer selling and the player base it just dwindles to the point where there's hardly anyone online they're going to reach a like an inflection point where they're going to have to say, you know, are we going to try and resurrect this or are we just going to kill it? Because 
once you've bought the game, there are there is a whole microtransaction economy built into the game as well, which is obviously they're they're hoping that that will be their kind of ongoing revenue stream from this. Um, but if enough people are experiencing enough crashes and enough issues, you know, they're just going to put their hands up in the air and say, well, I'll just shelve that. I won't play it anymore. There's plenty of other great stuff to play. I'm not going to keep wasting my time. And that's kind of the worst thing that could happen for this game, I think. I mean, you are you going to come back to it at all? Are you done? Um, I'm, I'm not done. Like, I am going to... I, I want, I'm going to follow it um, and see what happens. I'm going to play it a little bit more. It's, I can see already that it's the sort of game that I can get some enjoyment from for the first few hours. I think it's definitely going to hit a point where, you know, I've seen most of the map and I've kind of done most of the, the missions and, and that's enough for me. Mm. Um, but I also think it's just as likely that something else will come along and I'll just dump this completely. Like, I still haven't started Dragon Quest Eleven. Oh, yeah. When I start that, then I think I think Fallout's going to be forgotten. So, Yeah. Um, do you think it's just that we let Bethesda call themselves the king of the Western RPG? Like, when Skyrim came out, that was after Fallout 3 and Oblivion. And at that mm. point, we were just like, yeah, Bethesda, you did it. You you did it. You're clearly the best at this person. Like, you're somewhere um, among the pantheon of, of the greats in terms of game developers. Um, but other companies were so fast to catch up. Um, yeah. Like, Witcher 3 is probably now the king of the Western RPG uh, uh, according to people who are keeping score on that kind of thing and uh nintendo's breath of the wild is is a similar concept and ubisoft yeah. is stuff that is comparable to bethesda's output consistently um mm. yearly in certain cases and like what i i, I guess if i was todd howard right now I would be very nervous about what my company has to offer. Um, yeah. Because it, if Starfield is just more of the same, I think they've, they they fall down a number of pegs. Yeah, and I think there's this thing of, you know, if, if you're any kind of technology company or or maybe not technology company, but if you're a company that's creating product based on technology like game engines, for example. Um, there's got to be a strategic decision at some point about, you know, you look at where your technology's at and what it's offering you and what you can offer players versus the huge, like, myriad of technologies, licensable technologies that are available out in the industry. Uh, and in a lot of cases, even indie developers are using, you know, some pretty incredible technology that totally trumps what Bethesda Game Studios is doing here. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, the whole industry's kind of moved on. And 
I agree that like the bar in general has become so much higher than it ever was before. Um, so I, I feel like Bethesda Game Studios, like Bethesda as a publisher has been awesome, but Bethesda Game Studios as a developer, I, I kind of feel like they just need to go quiet for a while and <laughs> maybe just kind of, maybe kind of do a, look at everything from the ground up and make some decisions about, you know, as you say, like what can they offer going forward? Um, how, you know, what kind of technologies do they need to, to jump on board with to do that? Um, I think the biggest disappointment for me here is that the, as I said, right at the outset, like the idea of an online fallout game where you've got dozens or whatever human players in the fallout wasteland and you're all exploring and you're all building you know and you're doing these events together and you know you're launching nukes and all this stuff like the concept could not be any cooler sure you know what i mean like it's it's just such an awesome concept it's something that way before they announced this game it's something i always wanted someone to do and when they announced it i thought finally someone's doing like the obvious you know this is such a great idea for it like an ongoing game um and to to squander that opportunity so seriously <laughs> yeah is just so disappointing i i feel really bad for for the fallout fans and i i, I feel bad for a lot of the team at bethesda game studios as well because you know like they're working on this thing that they that i'm sure they love working on um and it's not their fault that someone decided to to cut the ribbon too early you know like it's it's the whole thing's really sad it is <laughs> i mean yeah what are you gonna do <laughs> it's it's what it is um i mean i will i will follow it and yeah. i you know look if they if they somehow turn it around if they do if they do get the game to a more stable place and they can add content and you know if they can somehow turn it around i'll be the first one there saying awesome job congratulations this is really cool you know i don't want to just jump on the hate bandwagon um but it at this point it's just it's really tough to see how that's possible i guess yeah <laughs> i i completely agree i <laughs> i i want to see them do well i want um this this major force in the industry to be a positive force in the industry and yeah, definitely yeah you know it it doesn't seem like it's that right now but we can always mm. hope for the future if you want to write into the show and uh put it in your comments or questions and have them read on the show you can do that at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. That's podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. Let's head into the after-school activities. James, what is your after-school activity this week? So I randomly came across this YouTube channel by a guy called Glenn Plant. Um... And this is not entirely clear to me, but I think he, I think he worked for, he must've worked for the, the old 
N64 magazine because he's got their logo on his videos and he kind of references it now and then. Mm. Um, I don't know if N64 magazine came out. I assume it was in North America as well. It's a British magazine that I don't originally... think it did. Um, um, I pr- it was. I, I mean, it would have been before I was like out in stores buying my own stuff, so I guess I wouldn't know for sure. But um, I might not have seen it. Yeah, I think N- Nintendo Power had a fairly exclusive monopoly on Nintendo magazines yeah. in North America. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so we had, in, in like the PAL territories in Europe and Australia and New Zealand, we had various like official, there were a couple of different kinds of official magazines, but there were quite a lot of unofficial ones. And N64 magazine was really, really awesome. I tended to prefer them to the official magazine um in any case glenn's youtube channel is basically it's basically him going through every single nintendo 64 game ever released and reviewing each one and i as i say i randomly found it and i've just been going through every single video because he he doesn't just kind of do these really um like surface level reviews of each game he really kind of goes in depth with each one he talks about kind of the history of that game he talks a bit about how they came about about the developer um so if you're into n64 stuff in general this is a really awesome find great glenn plants i'll definitely check that out um i have another youtube channel this one is called skip the tutorial uh i found about skip I found out about Skip the Tutorial because uh, Mark Brown, the Game Maker's Toolkit guy, recommended mm-hmm. this channel as a really good resource for um, discussions on final boss design. Um, that's not all he does, but that's one focus of what he does, looking at the design, the mechanical design of, of bosses and how they compare to different games and, and what they're rewarding the player by... by uh, by by being bosses and by being gateways and by being challenges and all that and it's really interesting i i would definitely recommend the channel skip the tutorial um specifically there's a video he's done on bomb chicken which is an ios or maybe android or both um mobile game and it's it's fantastic i I checked out Bomb Chicken specifically because of his recommendation, and I, uh, I, I had a great time with that game. So I, I definitely urge you to check out Skip the tu- Skip the Tutorial on YouTube. Uh, thanks again for listening. The theme song has been by Jamitar, and does that? I, I just realized I don't know if that song has a name. Is it just the Super Jump theme? Do you think? It's just, yeah, it's just the Super Jump theme. It has no name. <laughs> what if its name is Gerald? <laughs> We'd also like to thank Gerald for joining the show. <laughs> Our theme has been Gerald by Jamitar. <laughs> Please remember to subscribe, review us on iTunes, uh, tell a friend. Anything you can do to share the show is more than we're currently doing to, to share the, the <laughs> show. Uh, well, that's not entirely true. But we really do rely on word of mouth and and positive reviews and things like that. It helps us a lot. Uh, it helps us gain notoriety in, in those podcast stores quite a bit. So if you could do that, that'd be awesome. 
Thanks for listening, and stay super! super.